Well, I am excited about what the Lord is saying and doing, and I'm excited about what uh, he has for us today. I think, um, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was, might have been last week, I don't know, my weeks are all running together, uh, I was listening to the the song, I don't know the names of any of these songs, I call it the resurrection song, uh, so it's, it's, it was on this part. You'll know it when I say it. It says, By your spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. You know that one? I just call it the resurrection song. No idea what the title is, but is it? It's resurrected. Oh, I was really cl- Resurrecting. Okay, that song. For any of you that need to know what that is, it's called resurrecting. But uh, by your spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. Now, listen, I wasn't um, being super spiritual in this moment. I just like to have music on in my house. And so it was just playing, and I was probably like cleaning or something, but like a word settled in the pit of my spirit right in the instant that I heard that. It was like instantly the weight of the spirit was on me, and I heard the Lord say, I want to resurrect my church. And I was just like, okay, uh, that was, I, I'm just like cleaning the house, you know, but it just like settled on me. I knew it was the Lord. I knew it wasn't just my thought. It was, it was just like the weight of the spirit. I want to resurrect my church. And, you know, I think uh, you can take resurrection a lot of different ways. And we always talk about things that are dead and, you know, have no life. But what I, I, I really believe that the Lord is up to something and he wants to revive his followers in order for us to be a part of his move, the moving of the spirit. I, I mean, some of you might need full-on like resurrection paddles on your heart, you know, like come back to life in the name of Jesus. But I kind of just got this, this, uh, this sense in my spirit that the Lord just wanted to revive our passion that it's not even that we're not doing good things, like that we're, you know, we're, a lot of you might be connected to the Lord, but like that there's just this sense of like, God wants to resurrect something in you. You know, it's so easy to become distracted from the mission of Jesus because the mission of Jesus is our mission because we're his church. And we can easily be swayed by our fear, our failure, our life circumstances, our busyness, right? And we, we find that, some of our passion just dies. It's just not the same. And that's what I think the Lord wants to resurrect in us today, like starting today and what he wants to see happen in the church is he wants to eradicate the work of the enemy that brings fear and distraction. And he wants to restore uh, our callings and point us back to his mission. You know, some of us, if you've been a Christian a long time, you can, you can do the Christian thing and you become on your mission. Anybody ever done that before? Uh, in the name of Jesus, you can be on your mission, right? But I think part of the resurrecting that needs happening is the Lord says, hey, I want to bring back to life that dedication and connection and passion to me so that I can point you on my mission. Because your mission and God's mission don't always line up if you're 
off wandering around distracted or fearful, right? You can get kind of off. And so uh, I, I really believe that he just wants to restore our callings and point us back to his mission. And so I want to uh, open up the word here. We're going to be in First Kings 19. And I, I love everything about this section of scripture. It's so good. I'm going to give you the back story because it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible and it's worth sharing. Okay, we're going to be reading about Elijah. And what has just happened is he has just had the contest of all contests. Okay, most famous one in history where Elijah stands up as a prophet of God and says, my God is the one true God. Then you have all these morons who say they're prophets of the Baal, right? And they're like, no, our God is the one true God. And so they're like, let's put it to a test, right? And if you're familiar with this story, this is the best. If you're not familiar with your story, uh, go home and read 1 Kings 18 this week because you will not be disappointed, full of adventure and suspense and all kinds of amazing things. But here's the recap, okay? Ultimately, what happens is prophets of Baal go first. They cry out, they cut themselves, they like scream and holler and nothing happens. They build this sacrifice, nothing happens. And Elijah goes ahead, he just like pours water all over his thing and then he just prays to God. And God comes in fire from heaven and consumes everything. It says the fire was even licking up the water in the trenches around it. Like God is like, let me just like put myself on display here. We're just not going to do this part way. It's going to be all in so that you can see this is impossible. And uh, all the glory goes to God. And Elijah kills every prophet of Baal. Takes him captive and he kills him. And so this is where we're starting from, okay? He's just like, this is one of the moments in the Bible, okay? This is like Ta-da! You know, he just ushered in one of the most amazing displays of God's power. All right, and we're going to pick up in 19. When Ahab got home, now Ahab's the king at the time. Him and Elijah aren't always getting along, you know what I mean? Because he sort of doesn't serve God. All right, and so he tells his wife Jezebel, she's really bad, everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me by this time tomorrow if I have not killed you just as you killed them. Okay, now here's my thought on this before we read what Elijah's response is. I'm thinking, we already just proved that your gods don't exist. And my God just showed up in an amazing way. And so now you're saying, may your God strike you dead if you don't kill me. Like in my mind, I'm thinking... Great. You know, good luck with that, right? You, you, think, you, you think he's just like, yeah, my God is bigger. My God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. You know, he, we're, he should bust out in that worship song, you know, uh, and say, you know, Jezebel, that's great, but my God's got my back. But he doesn't. In verse 3, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. 
Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. And then he laid down and slept under the broom tree. And as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. And he looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and he lay back down again. And then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more. For the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, I I love this interaction. It's so good. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And then what happens is, this is the famous encounter where he, God calls him to walk out of the cave, and he sees fire, but God wasn't in the fire, and he sees and he, the earthquake, and God wasn't in the earthquake, but then there's a still small voice. And that's God. And the voice says, listen to this. What are you doing here, Elijah? (laughs) And do do you love human flesh? Listen. He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Here is just a tip. If you're having an interaction with the Lord and he asks you the same question a second time, that probably means he's looking for a different answer. (laughs) So this is the best. This is the best response to God ever. This is like parenting tip. This is like relational tip right here when you're dealing with dramatic friends. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive there, anoint uh, Hazel to be king of Aram and then anoint Jehu, this king to be Israel, and then anoint Elisha to be your successor. Like the Lord gives zero attention to the to the pity party and the drama did you notice this i mean here elisha is he's just like just kill me now lord i'm all alone i just can't do it you know he has this whole like pity party and they're gonna kill me too and and the lord just says all right uh can you get up i have work for you to do you need to anoint this guy as this king anoint this guy as this king anoint elisha and then he's and then he says Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed a knee to Baal. Like, in other words, hey, bud, just so you're clear, you're not the only one left, all right? There's 7,000 people who have never bowed their knee. And then what does Elijah do? He gets up and he goes and anoints the guys, finds Elisha, throws his cloak on him, right? He just gets up and continues on his work here. I love this interaction with the Lord. It's, it's so good. Okay, so Elijah's just coming off this ministry high. He's just ushered in the most famous display of God's power against false gods. He's seen miracle after miracle, but suddenly 
In an instant, he's gripped by fear, and his whole entire perspective changes when he finds out this really evil lady wants to kill him. So he runs. He pulls away. He goes to the wilderness. And in fact, along the way, he actually drops his servant off and pulls completely away from people and just goes and lays under a solitary tree in the desert to have a pity party for himself. Here is just a little pointer, not part of the message, but somebody probably needs to hear it. Isolation is never a good idea, especially when you're struggling. Isolation is never a good idea, especially when you're struggling. When you begin to struggle, when fear grips your heart and you want to pull back and you want to run away, that is like the worst idea possible. Do you see, like, was this good for Elijah? Because when he gets alone, man, that's when he's like hopeless. Just kill me now, God. Just take my life. There's no point. And I'm like, dude, bud, like a few verses earlier, do you not remember the God you're serving? But when you pull out, when you become covered in fear, you will not have your right perspective. And if you pull away and isolate yourself in your struggle, you get in a bad place real quick. Because it opens the door to hopelessness. There's no one in your life to say, Hey, bud, you remember last week when you did that thing and God showed up? The God you serve, you know, wake up. Sometimes we need somebody to like smack us around, like not literally, hopefully. Sometimes maybe they do. Uh, but, you know, just to say, wake up to the God you serve. What are you doing? What do you mean you're all alone? You are not alone. Get up. Get back on your mission, man. Uh, But instead, you know, he just pulls away, total isolation. He wanders to Mount Sinai. He has this encounter with the Lord. He whines and complains some more. And what does Jesus do? Just points him to mission. The Lord listens twice and then says, get up and go anoint these guys. And by the way, you're not alone. And Elijah does it. A few weeks ago, I was just stuck on the verse where the angel brings the food to Elijah. Uh, it It just struck me. The, the angel shows up to give him a snack in the wilderness, and he got up and ate and drank. Uh, well, this this was the verse, verse uh, 7. I was just mulling over this forever. And the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. Just like the amazing provision of the Lord in any place that we're in to give us what we need to sustain us for the rest of the journey. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones. I just was like thinking about this and thinking about this. And I thought, there's another place in the Bible where there's some bread baking on hot coals. And I was thinking, where is it? Like, I need to find this. And I knew exactly where it was. So I want you to flip over with me. We're going to see, see what's there. It's in John 
chapter 21. This is, Jesus has been crucified, he's resurrected, he's shown up to himself, or to himself, I guess that too. He's shown up to his disciples, okay, he's, he's uh, you know, spending time with people before his ascension. Later, Jesus appeared once again to a group of his disciples by Lake Galilee. It happened one day while Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, Jacob, John, and two other disciples were all together, and Peter told them, I'm going fishing. And they all replied, we'll go with you. So they went out and fished through the night, but they caught nothing. And then at dawn, Jesus was standing there on the shore, but his disciples didn't realize that it was him. And he called out, saying to them, hey guys, did you catch any fish? Not a thing, they replied. So Jesus shouted to them, throw your net over the starboard side and you'll catch some more. And so they did, and as he said, so they did as he said, and they caught so many fish, they couldn't even pull in the net. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, "It is the Lord." And when Peter heard him say that, he quickly wrapped his outer garment around him, and because he was athletic, and drove right into the lake. Oh, I just flipped too many pages to go to Jesus. The other disciples then brought in the boat to shore, dragging their catch of fish, and they weren't far from land, only about a hundred meters. And when they got to the shore, they noticed a charcoal fire with some roasted fish and bread. And then Jesus said, bring some of the fish you caught. So Peter waded into the water and helped pull the net to shore. It was full of many large fish, exactly 153. But even with so many fish, the net was not torn. Come, let's have some breakfast, Jesus said to them. And not one of the disciples needed to ask who it was because every one of them knew it was the Lord. And then Jesus came close to them and served them bread and fish. This was the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples after the resurrection. Then after breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me more than these? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. Then take care of my lambs, Jesus said. And Jesus repeated his question the second time, Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me? And Peter answered, yes, my Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And then Jesus asked him again, Peter, son of John, do you have great affection for me? And Peter was saddened by being asked the third time and said, my Lord, you know everything. You know that I will burn with love for you. And Jesus replied, then feed my lambs. Peter, listen, when you were younger, you made your own choices and you went with your, where you pleased. But one day when you're old, others will tie you up and escort you out where you would not choose to go and you will spread out your arms. Peter, follow me.
In this story, God is so amazing. There's so much happening here, and the depth of restoration happening in Peter is mind-blowing. I want to, I just want to touch on a little bit because I don't want uh, the amazing depth of mirroring, of Jesus mirroring all of the things to be lost. And then we're going to come back to sort of what we're talking about. But here's the deal. When Jesus meets Peter the first time in Luke chapter five, Peter's out in his boat fishing. The first encounter, Jesus says, hey, have you caught any fish? Peter says, no, we've been out all night and haven't caught a thing. Is this sounding familiar to anything? And Jesus says, throw your net on the other side. So, Jesus, so Peter throws his net on the other side, and it says there were so many fish that the boat couldn't even contain it. And he knew it was the Lord. And Jesus told Peter, follow me. They... They got their, the other guys in the other boat carried in this whole two boatloads of fish, you know? And it said they dropped everything and they left it all to follow Jesus. It's like the same story, except for a different time. Only God. Only God could just wait until Peter decides to go fishing. Like, you know, here's the thing. This is also the third encounter that Peter's had with Jesus since the resurrection. Sometimes we read this and you just think like, oh yeah, they're so confused and they went back to fishing because they're so sad and, and Jesus shows up to them. This is the third time Jesus has seen them. And Peter, because Peter was one of the, the 12 disciples. And it says, like, if you go back through and read, first time Jesus shows up, he breathes the breath of the spirit into the disciples. And he says, here's the Holy Spirit, essentially. The spirit of life is what it kind of translates to. So Jesus shows up, first encounter, to give life, to, to breathe fresh life into these guys. Second time he shows up, he comes to just like, get rid of all doubt. It's when he appears to Thomas because Thomas missed the whole breathing thing and he's like, I don't think you guys are telling the truth. Unless I put my fingers in those scars, I'm not believing. So Jesus is like, all right, we'll, co- we'll come again, you know? So he shows up to him. He, he has this encounter with Thomas. Thomas feels, uh, puts his fingers in the, the, the places where, where Jesus was crucified and there's belief. So he comes first, and brings like this spirit of life. And then he comes and he brings belief. And now we're on this third encounter. That brings restoration. I mean, I think it's amazing that it's even like the third time. Before he addresses Peter. This is the third time that, Jesus, that, that Peter has seen Jesus since he denied him. He denied him three times and Jesus waits until the third time that he sees him to say, now let's, let's take care of business. And here's the heart of Jesus. Can, I just, can we just catch it? The heart of Jesus didn't say, I'm going to show up here while you picked your nets back up and be like, dude, are you going to follow me or are you not? Like, let's take care of business and restore this guy already because I've got plans for you. 
Jesus has already encountered Peter. He's breathed the spirit of life into him without touching his denial of Jesus. I mean, isn't God so good that way? He just, he just shows up. See, and I think, it, I think this primed Peter for full restoration. Like Jesus just knew. Man, he came and he gave them the spirit of life. Then he came and he just seeded belief in these guys. And then he comes on the day that Peter has picked up the nets that he left behind to follow Jesus. Gives him an identical encounter to his original call. He calls him to the shore and what's sitting there waiting? Bread and some fish. They eat a meal together and then Jesus goes for the heart issue here. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Yes. Yes, I do. Man, you, you know, like, Peter was a human just like us. You got to know that this whole thing was just rolling around in him. Every, ever since the denial and the, the resurrection, he's seen Jesus twice. He's having this encounter now. You just know it's just rolling around. And I do not think anything was lost on Peter. Third time, Three times he asks the question, just this picture of full restoration. Then feed my sheep. And the whole thing just ends. I mean, you get to see Peter's personality because Jesus says, follow me. It's like this serious moment with Peter and Jesus. And you know what Peter does? Hey, what about John? Is he going to die too? (laughs) I'm like, that's, that's classic Peter right there. Like, <laughs> John's behind him. <laughs> well, does he have to die too? Because you're saying I'm going to die for your name. What about, what about him? <laughs> See, both Elijah and Peter were in different places, but they both needed an encounter with Jesus that would revive their hearts and their callings. See, one was just like, got sucked into a bad place because of fear. But man, he was like serving the Lord, right? Like Elijah was all in, but he, he just finds him, play, he's kind of done with this assignment that was really amazing and, and great. And now what do I do? And now like somebody wants to kill me and I'm not sure. And now I'm afraid. So I isolate myself, you know, so, but that he needed this encounter, where his heart would be revived and his calling would be revived. He needed something fresh from the Lord. And then, and then the other guy was struggling with failure. You have Peter, the one who swore he would be with Jesus. He would even die for him. And then he denies him three times. And the whole thing plays out. Man, he's just got all this inner turmoil, shame, guilt, all the things, the failure. And I believe that, that the way the Lord encountered both Elijah and Peter is the same way that he will come and revive us. You know, sometimes you just need a snack. Can I get an amen? I mean, any moms of young kids out there, you just know there's this moment in your household with young children 
where you just think, I'm, I'm about to, to lose my salvation in parenting you today. And you're like, you just need a snack. <laughs> you just need a snack. Break out the goldfish. New kid, right? Sometimes you just need a snack. Now, listen, Jesus is probably not, I mean, he hasn't done it to me yet. He, he's probably not just going to show up with bread cooking on hot rocks next to you. But he is the bread. He is the bread. He has fresh provision for you every day in every season of your life. See, we must have fresh bread from the Lord. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In the Lord's prayer, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus is the bread. We have to learn how to encounter Jesus in a way where we're receiving that fresh bread in every season. You know, people get really sideways really fast when they aren't continually encountering Jesus and getting fresh bread. I mean, think about, think about Elijah here. It did not take long for him to get like totally like sideways, like just like, just kill me now, Lord. Just take my life. I'm done. I've had enough. And Jesus is like, here, dude, just like, maybe you just need a snack and have some bread and some water because you've got a journey ahead of you and I'm not done with you. So go ahead here, partake. The angel even wakes him up a second time like, no, dude, you've got to eat some more because you've got a journey ahead of you. Amen. Jesus shows up on the shore. Bread. Hey, come eat breakfast with me. Come eat breakfast with me before we get to this hard issue here. Just eat some bread and some fish. So there's just, there's three things that I see happening in both of these passages. And I believe that he will do it continually, continually, continually. He will show up with fresh bread in your life. He will show up with fresh bread. He will restore and renew your mind from shame, fear, failure, and he will point you back to mission. It's just those three things over and over and over. See, sometimes what happens with us as believers is we have an encounter with Jesus. We're transformed. We begin to do his work, and then we, we, we just call it good. You just keep doing the same thing or then you end up isolated and alone in the wilderness doing whatever or you just go back to what you were doing. You just pick your nets back up because that season ended. But what, what we have to learn to do is have this, in, uh, this encounter like just continual where we're coming before the Lord and hearing what he has for every season. Man, if you're struggling, God has promise and provision for you in that. He has some bread for you. He will give you a snack when you just feel like you are losing your mind and when you do not know what to do and you just want to pull back and you just want to be alone and you're just acting like a cranky toddler having a pity party, Jesus will show up with bread. Amen. 
He will. The, th- the thing that I love about the way Jesus interacts with both Elijah and Peter, man, he's addressing stuff underneath, but he's, he's really just saying, get up and go do the work. He's not, that's the way that the correction is happening. He's just pointing them back to mission. In other words, listen, when we're so caught up in our failure and our disappointment, whatever it is, we just think that all of a sudden God is done with us. We don't need him to come and correct all of that. When Jesus shows up with bread for you and says, now go anoint this, go do this, follow me. It heals everything because you go, he's not done. You still want me. He still had work for Elijah to do, even though Elijah was in the wilderness praying to die and then having a massive pity party just on repeat. God was still saying, I've chosen, I still have work. Get up and go do these things. The best is yet to come. The same thing with Peter, man, he shows up and he just says, feed my sheep. Peter, just follow me. Just the fact that Jesus is saying, I'm not done with you. I'm still calling you my follower and I still have mission for you to do. Does something in Peter's heart. So what he does is just say, feed my sheep. Follow me, Peter. Follow me. And the healing work of restoration is done as he renews the call, as he points them on mission. Like, hey, go do these things. I've had, I've had this encounter with the Lord myself, I, probably more than once, but I have one very significant one that I want to share with you in closing. A number of years ago, whew, almost 10, seems like a long time. <clears throat> I, I had this thing in my life, just, just failure, relational failure, ministry failure, and it was like, you know, one of those ones where the bomb goes off and you just like see the relationships just sliding down the wall and there's just nothing and it just felt so terrible. It was just excruciatingly painful. And I began to hear things from people like, you know, I don't know that you should be allowed to speak ever again. And, and I'm not saying that for compassion or anything. I'm just like, like just sharing some things to just say, you know, I, I don't know that you should ever be able to speak again. I, I mean, I don't even know that you should be able to minister. I don't understand why, why anybody would ever, you know, give you a microphone again. Now, th- looking back on that, that's pretty exaggerated from what was going on. But in the middle of big feelings, I just began to think, maybe they're right. Maybe I've messed up that bad <laughs> that I've ruined the call of God on my life. And just struggling through failure, just the heartache of failure that you did it wrong, the loss of relationship. And uh, so that, that year I took up running. I recommend it if you're having a stressful year. And I was out on a run. We, we lived right here next door to the church building. So I was running at the park right here. One of the most amazing encounters I've ever had with the Lord. I was on a run. I was listening to uh, a song that was just kind of like a declaration song. And it was, it was uh, saying, I am royalty. I have destiny. I have been set free. I'm going to shape history. Right? And it's just like this anthem. Just bah, bah, bah. 
So, and it's, so it's a good running song. It's like, da, 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 you know, so you just run to it. And, uh, and I was running, it was a cloudy day, and I was running around that park, that little gravel trail there. And all of a sudden, I, the, the clouds just sort of split open and the sun came through. And I, man, I was just like running like this in the poorest running form you ever could because I was just like, I'm failing at ministry and I've ruined the call of God on my life and uh, I'm trying. Uh, and I, the Lord said, look up. And I looked up and like the sun was breaking through the clouds. And I looked down like I was kind of rounding the thing and, and the light was just right that the shadow in front of me was massive. It was my shadow and it was just huge in front of me on the walking trail. And I just remember the Lord saying, look up, get up. You are not done. And he gave me just some of the clearest call of my life. It's, it's where the, the birthing of the love of crowns and royalty came from, of just like, man, all Jesus did was, it was like I could hear him declaring that song, Ashley, You have been put here for such a time as this. I am calling you. Like he didn't even touch the failure, right? He's just telling me, you, you can be a world changer. Get up, focus on me. You are royalty. You are a daughter of the king. You have place with me. I've given you a voice. You know, and he just began to speak this words of life and I began to listen to this song and all of a sudden it was like something rose in me and I began to declare it. I am royalty. I have destiny. I have been set free and I'm going to shape history. Like the Lord has anointed me for such a time as this. And it was like what happened is Jesus came with fresh bread. Man, he just came with a word in the middle of my struggle. And it wasn't like a, oh, Ashley, I know your heart is hurting and I just, you're, you're going to make it. You're going to be okay. It, it was like, get up. Enough is enough. <laughs> get out of the pit and do something already. You have a call of God on your life. You, and it was like, the Lord was like, do you think that you are so powerful That you could destroy what I have called with one failure? Well, no. But we act like that. Do I want to be filled with so much pride to think that my performance as a leader or a daughter of the king shapes my future? I don't think so. He showed up with fresh bread. Bread that brought life. He restored and renewed my mind to line it up with his and he pointed me back on his mission. That run was a turning point in my life and in my ministry 
where I learned that after failure, I could get up and still be who God called me to be and be better because I learned a lot of things. So whether you're facing failure, whether you're just like in a weird season, maybe it's just the changing seasons, like you did this awesome assignment, now what am I going to do? God will show up with fresh bread. See, he has provision for you in every season. He has a word for you. If you will seek him, he will give you life in every season. You have to connect with him and receive it and eat it. He will restore and renew your mind. He wants to eradicate the work of fear in your life that will try to distort your view and make you pull away. And he will point you back on mission. See, every single one of you in this house has a call of God on your life as his son or daughter. That might not mean that you ever preach behind this pulpit, but there is a call on your life to love people because we are all on the same mission. Pastor, nurse, oil field worker, neighbor, friend, mother, father, whatever it is, you are all on mission for Jesus. And we all have the same thing. Us, the whole church, taking the whole gospel to the whole world. That means right into your office in downtown. That means right to your next door neighbor. I, my mission this year, listen, you guys hold me accountable to this. I have a neighbor. She needs Jesus. I don't know her name. I'm confessing right now. I'm repenting in front of you. I'm serious. Man, my mission is to take Jesus everywhere. Maybe I should start with my next door neighbor who needs him. Learn her name. Build a relationship. Begin to find out her story and take Jesus there. Do you see what I'm saying? It's the mission of God. God has things for you to do. And if you're wandering around in your fear and your failure and isolation and having a pity party, you will miss the opportunity to take the good news to someone. We must be steered back to his mission. I want you to stand. I'm just going to pray over you, make some declarations, and I encourage you just this week, press in for fresh bread. You know, Jesus doesn't just serve bread at the church building. He does it at the park when you're on a run. He does it in your living room. He does it in your work truck. He'll show up anywhere. He shows up in the wilderness. He shows up on the side of the lake when you picked up something that you left behind a long time ago, right? Jesus will show up anywhere to give you fresh bread. It's not about this building. You don't have to come to this building to get fresh bread. Now, he'll show up with bread here too. But, Lord, we love you. I just declare right now, that every heart would be open to your voice.
Father, for every person who's struggling, whether it's just fear, whether it's failure, whether it's just been like contending for something and just the the work of standing and interceding and going for it, Lord, whatever place anyone is in, would you just show up with that fresh bread? God, I thank you that you are the bread. Begin to reveal yourself to every heart. And God, I pray that passion would be renewed. That callings would be restored. Lord, that you would meet us wherever we are and just point us back to what we're called to. That you would just point us to mission. God, open our eyes and our ears to your voice. And Lord, make us a people who live partaking of daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Thank you that you have made provision for us in every season. That there's always a fresh word to hold on to. Fresh promises for every every season, everything we face. Lord, we will be a people who encounter you, who stay connected to your heart, your vision, and your mission. In Jesus' name, amen.